this week's Pro Video Coalition podcast, we talk Loop Decks, Red's new Komodo, the 16-inch MacBook Pro's real-world performance, the possibility of a new Pro mode in the next drop of OS X, and Gary Adcock gives us his super-secret tip for improving the performance of laptops without upgrading your hardware. All right, guys, welcome to another exciting episode of the Pro Video Coalition weekly-ish podcast. Uh, I'm Damien Allen. I'm here with Gary Ad... Ad... Blah. <laughs> let me do, I, let me a, do your name okay. justice. It, it happens to all of us, you know. <laughs> I'm here with Gary Adcock and Scott Simmons, of course, who is the legend uh, behind a lot of what happens at Pro Video Coalition. And uh, we've got a little bit to talk about. In fact, speaking of Scott's legendary status, uh, you released a pretty legendary review this week on Loop Deck. Talk about that. Oh, wow. I don't know how legendary anything is. Well, but, it's long. Yeah, right? it, <laughs> or was, it, was, it was it was epic. Epic. It was part two. Epic. That's was, the right word. It was part two of the uh, Loop Deck in-depth review. Part one was you know sort of hardware, software, kind of general overall generalities, and this one was the more specific use with uh, with Premiere, and. Yeah, it was long. It was partly, you know, when you start doing those things, they kind of tend to have a life of their own. Um, but one reason why I made it long was because, you know, when the Loop Deck came out, there was, you know, there's always like a big flash of like, oh, here's a new product. And there's the, you know, the copy and paste press releases, which, you know, we all do from time to time. That's part of doing the news. But then I was starting to read a few reviews that were 500 words, 800 words. And like, this is a review of what is quite a complex little tool. And it's like, there's no way you can comprehensively review a product like that in 800 words. It's just not, and not get any, anything out of it. So, yeah, so that I sounds my time more like a really regurgitation of the press release, right? At that kind of count. Well, kind of, you know, they're often like, here's a few specs and I really liked it. It you know, it worked really, really well, or it was great. And it's, you know, except it didn't do this very well. And they're just, it's just so superficial. So I, uh, there's no explanation I mean, I kind of felt like why, I, there's no explanation of why it didn't work. That's always been the problem with me is they point out something that's wrong with it or something they like about it, but there's no in-depth overview of things, which is what your review did, which is why I liked it. Well, I, the, I mean, the thought was, you know, to try to dig in and look at how, you know, how you can use the thing beyond just, you know, it comes with default buttons and dials and that do what it does by default, but there's way more to it than that. Premiere integration is really, really deep, as is all the Adobe products, which I think is partly because Adobe has, uh, you know, better hooks into the software than, say, Final Cut 10 does. And, you know, it's not a cheap device. It's 500 and what, about 550 bucks. So it's, if, you, if you're going to spend your money on that, I would think many people really want to, you know, some depth on what it's going to do and how it may help them out, especially with a certain piece of software. So that was so, that's part of it. And, you know, I, 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 well, I also did a review of the Loop Deck Plus, you know, which was the Lightroom console, you know, designed mainly for Lightroom that they tried to shoehorn the editing tools into. And I, didn't, I did not like it for editing at all. It was not... And I even went so far as like, you know, commenting on YouTube articles and people talk about how great it was to edit with. Because I was like, you know, it's great for Lightroom, but it's not great to edit with. And, you know, I always feel bad when you give something like, quote unquote, a bad review. But I looked at this thing and I'm like, you know what, this is kind of something that I feel like no one has done yet. It made this particular product. To, they can do all this different stuff. And. And yeah, I just wanted to. So let, let me let me ask you now, now that you've kind of have been deep with this thing. Is it starting to become part of your workflow life? I mean, do you think you're going to 
keep on with it? Uh, I do think I will keep on with it. I have every intention of keeping on with it. It, uh, it, it sort of fits in nicely because it is not trying to be just another way to press buttons, and I, which right. I think is the big thing, you know, between the dials and the, and the, and the different screens and the, the wheel and stuff like that. And the fact the wheel can have multiple functions, it's trying to do different stuff. And, and especially with Premiere, you can have it do things that you can't do any other way. You know, one example would be being able to use the um, the wheel to be able to you know move uh, you know keyframing back and forth. Audio keyframes for doing mixing is one thing, or be able to slip and you know do a slip or a slide at it without clicking and dragging the mouse. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's kind of mm. doing something. It reminds me a lot of the um, Resolve Editor's keyboard in there. Uh, you know the, the scroll dial on that. What they did with that, it was kind of doing something that. It was a way of interacting with editing that we haven't really had on in an NLE before, you know, to a certain extent. And I, and I kind of feel loop, loop decks the same way. And that's why I thought it, you know, at first of all, I, I like it. It's cool. It works well. And it kind of adds this other level of stuff. And it takes a while to, you know, try to get that point across. Perhaps I was long-winded, which I have often been accused of being. <laughs> so, you know, maybe that was the case. Um, well, I think one of the other problems with that particular tool is it's so much about customization, right? Those OLEDs, you can switch and change out what does what. And so part of it is actually just having enough time with it to figure out what, it, how it's meaningful to you as it, and your your personal idiosyncrasies in the way you work. Yeah, you, you've got to you've got to dig into it. I saw a comment on it, you know, a month or so ago, and there were, someone was bitching about having to set it up. It's like, it's too hard. It takes too much work to set it up. And it does take work to set up to, you know, especially to figure out, you know, is this setting going to work for me? And, you know, the software is not the greatest in the world. You know, like you'll, you'll say you'll take a, uh, an action or a feature or, you know, something that it does, you'll try to assign it to a button and you, you know, click and drag to assign to a certain button and you pause and it takes a few seconds for the button to update in the software to show you that it's going to work the hardware and, you know, just stuff like that that I'm sure could be optimized. But I mean, I gotta be honest, I don't, I've been, you know, don't know whose loop deck is. I'm, you know, I've seen a picture of the dude online and I've emailed back and forth and I don't know if it's one guy, 10 guys, three gals or what, but you know, I don't know. It can't be easy to say, you know what, I'm going to design this product and you, you know, they've got to manufacture it. And I'm sure there's lots of iterations of, you know, getting the hardware right and the software and, they had a problem early on that the, I think one of the first production runs, the, there was a manufacturing defect in the buttons and some people's buttons were falling off. And, you know, I, that, that can't be easy to do. I don't know shit about well, manufacturing I, the product. Well, my, my question about it is, is more about, you know, I, I call it the iMovie syndrome. People have gotten so used to having everything so easy. They're, they don't understand that you actually have to program things. You have to learn camera menus. You have to understand how the stuff works. And if it's not, you know, push a button, do exactly what it's supposed to do the first time out, they give up. And it's the same way with a lot of people now that they're just so used to the simplicity of, of some of the tools. If it shows any kind of, you know, pushback from them or any kind of difficulty that they can't seem to figure out without having to, you know, read the manual, they give up. And that's, that's one of the problems yeah. with the way people work nowadays. You know, it's like, I got, I, I saw somebody posted something online the other day. It's like, yeah, I want the instant workflow for Avid that allows me to just click a button and it does everything from the time the 
camera ingest it to the time I get ready to, to edit with my files. And it's like, but that's not the world and that's not how anything works. And you have to, to learn the tools to be able to make the best of the tools. I mean, anybody who plays an instrument or, or, or paints or anything didn't learn how to do it in the first day. Well, you're absolutely right about that. And I think that um, you would think that someone paying five, over 500 bucks for, for what is essentially a keyboard, a keyboard extension would be willing to put in some time to really learn, learn something, something about it. But, you know, I guess- you Well, see, that's the problem of, in, the, of, in the age of uh, free Amazon returns. You can buy something for 500 bucks, get mad at it and send it right back, right? So, yeah. As long as you have all the pieces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, remember Walmart, you could like buy it and use the uh, monitor for, use the TV for watch Super Bowl then return the TV the next day when you're done. Yep, it's uh, only in America well, maybe, I think. Well, I think but that's... look at look look at all the people that did that for props and you know, for expensive dresses and things where they do that and they you know, take it and you wear it for one shot and then take it back and turn it back in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the world that we, we live in. But, I mean, all told on the loop deck, I, I think if you're thinking about spending that kind of money for it, then you can take time to read through, you know, a few thousand words, depending on, you know, what your use, use case is. And that's why I hope people find it useful. I've, I'll do one on Final Cut 10 next, because that's my two uh, two use cases that, I, that I've used it for. But overall, I, I really like the thing. It's a cool, oh, it's a cool. cool product that I... You I, know, one I, of the I, other... Uh, one of the other articles that uh, I thought was kind of cool was Matthew Jepson talked about the new 16-inch MacBook Pro, and he actually did just his own personal, you know, not completely scientific, but benchmarks of his old MacBook Pro compared with the new 16-inch MacBook Pro. And the numbers are pretty crazy different, as you would expect. But we did go for quite a, a few years where the CPU jumps weren't that insane. And especially with MacBook Pros, they're not the cheapest to buy. So people tend to hang on onto them for three, four or five years, maybe even six or seven. And so it, it was a good point just saying, hey, if you've been hanging on, just look at what a massive difference this is making to my universe in terms of how long it takes to ingest, render, export. Uh, I mean, it, you know, he was getting two, three X improvements on across the board. Um, so it was a pretty cool little article to check out. Here, you've yeah, got a, agree. do you have a 16 inch? No, I don't. Ones? It's, it's actually, it ships next week, believe it or not. I just ordered it. So I've refrained on it. I, I, I had one on loan. I, I had one that somebody loaned me for a project. So I did have a chance to play with one on an extended basis and, and love it a lot. I mean, I think the audio on it was one of the most impressive things. Um, it, it still amazed me how good the audio playback was on it. But when it came to normal functions and normal Thunderbolt use, I actually didn't see a lot of difference between that and the previous Gen 1. Um, where you do see it is in renders and, and those kinds yeah, of things. Right. Real-time yeah. functionality is noticeably different, and a lot of that's the RAM. I mean, you know, you can get more than well, 16 gigs of RAM in a computer. <laughs> let, let me ask you guys' opinion on this, because here's what I'm thinking. We'll just pretend like it's in the podcast and we're just chatting about what I should do. I still have a 2013 uh, MacBook Pro with the old Thunderbolt 2. You know, it's been a hell of a machine for seven years. Yep. And, and you know, I use that when I go on conferences and sometimes, you know, just uh, portable stuff. And then at home, I have an iMac that's, I don't know, several years old, maybe 2017, 2016. So I was thinking I could um, do the uh, the program, the Apple trading program on the iMac and get maybe four or 500 bucks for that then maybe sell the old MacBook Pro that still has MagSafe and all that on eBay 
thinking I could probably get something for that because that's still a pretty desirable. So you probably still get four or five hundred dollars for that. Yeah, because that machine's really popular. Go to the yeah, then go to the new MacBook Pro. But when I when I looked at the the uh, CPU, like it's two point three gigahertz for my old MacBook Pro, and the new sixteen inch is like only two point four gigahertz. Yeah, well, like it's a different kind of gigahertz. Difference and shit. Yeah. Like it's <clears throat> what happened to the going to like ten gigahertz and five gigahertz? It's come on. It's a Mac, dude. <laughs> I know. Oh, I'm now you're getting, I want now you're ragging on the Mac. Wow. No, hey, man, I still I, I have both. I work I work on both platforms. Yeah. My Mac is my main, you know, email machine and everything else. But yeah. I still have a, a, a Windows truck to do stuff with. And it's like I did. Well, you know, it does. What's funny, Scott, is I actually bought a 2013 MacBook Pro recently on eBay, so that just because uh, you know there, I I I'd switched all the way to Windows. I have a very high-end Alienware for uh, doing you know with 32 gigs of RAM for doing production work, but I just needed something to run a lot of the Mac apps that I was missing, and so I actually went back to a MacBook Pro 2013. But I would say if you're planning on doing would any, would you kind like of, another one? Yeah. Backup, yeah. Um, if you're if you're planning on doing any serious like editing, like 4K or anything like that, obviously it makes a whole lot of sense to upgrade to that new Mac, uh, the new six inch. Uh, so it really depends. I mean, there are a lot of people out there, which isn't you, because you're you're often obviously working uh, on a on a client workstation, I'm guessing, or at a, at a provided studio, right? Um, where they have, Sometimes. or I'm at my place with my iMac. That's, yeah, I mean, exactly. That's, that's my way. Exactly. So, so if you were someone that really had to do a lot uh, on prem with clients and, and you had to bring your own machine, then that MacBook Pro makes a whole lot of sense. Or if you're, if you're, you know, uh, an indie kind of little boutique studio on your own, that might actually be a good workstation if you're going to spend half your time writing movie scripts in Starbucks. Um, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's that's a tough one. It's tough to know. I probably I probably do seventy percent of my work on my laptop. Really? Wow. Yeah, I do all I do all my composition on there, and then render and other things. But I do a lot, a good chunk of my work on my laptops. You know, I got to admit, I I have a two twenty core machines in my studio. Um, they're you know with one hundred twenty eight gigs of RAM in each, and I still do find myself like I'll often be sitting there working in. Uh, Nuke or Meyer or something, and all of a sudden I go, why am I doing this on the big machine? <laughs> but it's just something about, it's like I've got my email and the clients are sending me stuff there, and so it just is convenient to stay there. Now, if I'm doing a, a pyro simulation or something, I'm going to kick it off to render on one of the bigger machines, but you're, you're right. There is something just about the versatility of a, of a laptop that um, makes it a pretty easy place to do a lot of work. I mean, I'm sitting in front of mine right now, and it's like I've got a keyboard plugged in, a 4K monitor plugged into it, and stereo speakers, and and an external monitor, and everything else plugged into my laptop. And I'm sitting here at my desk, and it and if you don't pay attention, you don't re even remember which yeah. machine you're on. Exactly. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna buy one tomorrow. <laughs> well, wait, actually, before so there is a little tip here uh, for the astute listener, and that is apparently. Amazon's offering 300 bucks off these things. Um, I think there's an issue with when they're in stock, uh, but you may want to check out uh, Amazon before you plunk down on one because you may save yourself 300 bucks. All uh, right. So there you go. 
Uh, let's jump on to some other news. So we, you know, it's February, and even though April seems like miles away for a lot of people, for those of us kind of in the industry, things are heating up for people getting ready for NAB, planning all kinds of events, planning, uh, getting their products to market. So um, anything in particular you guys have heard down the grapevine or stuff going on that's NAB related, Gary? Um, lots of things. Boy, uh, it's kind of amazing. Uh, right off the bat, Red announced yesterday they released the Komodo uh, physical specifications. Um, posted on reduser.net, and now we've got, sorry about that, now we've got Red, uh, you know, their new 6K Komodo ca camera just starting to inch out into the marketplace. We expect to see them at NAB. Now, there's a lot of things that aren't in the specifications. I didn't see things like operating temperatures and, and you know, what kind of formats it's going to shoot and everything else yet other than being 6K. But, you know, it's the start of the camera flood with Sony and um Canon both releasing full frame, you know, user friendly cameras right at the end of the year. You kind of wonder what they're going to deliver at NAB too. Yeah. Um, so, so there's there's is, probably a lot going to happen on the camera front. I think. Is the Komodo supposed to be sort of the more affordable, uh, high end, super high end red cinnamon camera, or is that, it just the next iteration of? I think, it, I think it's I think it's the new scarlet kind of uh, you know for lack of a better way to phrase it, but it's designed as as something that's more affordable than the you know the regular DSMC two bodies and uh, and that and you know now they put the Ranger in, which is actually you know modified you know Panavision DXL like modifications on it that allow you to have all the ports and all the IO and everything else that doesn't come with the brains as they ship from red. Yeah. So you can see red six, expanding out in the marketplace. Six K seems going backwards. That's why I asked if it was, you know, the quote more affordable. And since it's all about more and more resolution. Well, for them it is, but there's still, you know, the issue of, you know, how long before that actually gets into the marketplace, you know, we're still fighting to deliver 4k over broadcast. Yeah. And there was a, Great furor on the Super Bowl that they were upresing 1080 to 4K. Oh, for, man, <laughs> uh, you know, in some of the apps, the Fox Sports app for one on Apple TV was upgrading a 1080 signal into 4K. So, well, I I was watching the national championship game, and I don't give a rat's rear about college football. I do like pro football, um, but they had the uh, the special feed on Comcast Xfinity, whatever their name is now, where you were where it was. Um, a 4K stream, and it was just like two two cameras on the sidelines, and they had reporters on the sidelines, and they would uh, sort of let them banter back and forth. It was kind of an interest, and they had a name for it. I can't remember what it was. But it was an interesting way to watch the game, and I was commenting about that on Twitter, and someone replied that was a, um, I think someone that works in the in the truck for uh, ABC or ESPN, and said that you know there's only. So I think whatever that feed was, there was maybe four to six what we thought were 4K cameras. And he was like, oh, there's only two 4K cameras. All the rest of it is, is all upscaled. He's like, oh, well, shit. I mean, what, is, what, is, what a scam. And what an absolute yeah. crock of shit. That's, that's, I mean, that's the problem with all the 4K marketing is no one really knows what it looks like because you, you don't really know when you're getting it when you're not, you know? Yeah. Um, and well, it is the problem know, with they. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, by the time you're eight foot, feet away from that uh, TV screen, it's going to be actually not that simple to tell. So, um, you well, know. Well, but think about think about what it was in the beginning days of HD when, you know, we had we had 720 and then we had full HD. And, you know, and what nobody, it, 
took an advantage was is that all of the ABC broadcast stuff is all 720. All of yeah. Fox is 720. And you look at it and it's like, well, your television's upscaling that already to 1080 if you're watching 1080 feed. And people don't understand that most of what they watch is not what they think it is. And, and you look yeah. at the raw feed from from the individual broadcasters and CBS and NBC tend to do true 1080 broadcasts. But all the ABC, ESPN stuff is all 720. 90% of Fox is all 720 on the cable systems. And, and that's what it is. And, and Scott, I find it interesting that you're trying to watch 4K on Comcast when you can't seem to even get, you know, the 1080 <laughs> oh, signal coming in God. without massive macro blocking. <laughs> I've been back. I actually have seen that on issue. The, on the, go ahead. You know, I, well, I think you know, it's just it's just it is what it is. It's not it's that that is what the reality is of some of those some of those broadcasts. It's just pixelization around certain. I mean, once the confetti rains down, all bets are off. But even like around the uh, <laughs> the uh, the bugs and some of the graphics on on you know NFL, you would think that would be as good of a of a quality as you're as you're going to get. But they just have no, you know, no answer. Let me ask you a question. Your box. I, yeah, uh, I, I I have a question for you on that. Now I have two Comcast boxes in my office, and one is the main box that controls everything that everything goes to, and the other is a secondary box. And I have noticed in the secondary box the signal is always twenty or thirty percent less than it is on the main box. Like it's a bounce signal or or a retransmit from the the main box. So if you're not working on your main master box, that might be one of your issues. Well, I have only one box. It's it's the latest X1. It's not. I used to have the big one that had the clock on it. This is one of the new ones, the small gray ones. That it's much much smaller with no clock on the front anymore. But in theory, that's you know supposedly the latest that they have. But you know, I don't. It's <laughs> it's the typical cable Comcast. Let me give you another little example. Remember when 3D TVs were were a thing? Of course, we remember. What well, was Comcast that like? It, was that June of 2010? I think that Absolutely. was like. Comcast had several dedicated uh, 3D, 3D channels, channels that oh, yeah. were actually, it was fun. It was a good party trick. I actually enjoyed 3D TV. I'll, I'll admit it. I bought, and I bought a 3D TV just for that. Why in the era of 4K do they not have a couple of dedicated 4K channels that we can just enjoy this new technology? It worked with no, the 3D channels. But if you dig, you can still that. find the three. If you dig, you can still find some 3D stuff on Comcast. <laughs> really? Ooh, yeah. I haven't done that in and a there's, while. There's supposedly some on Disney, too. So I haven't I haven't been on Disney Plus yet, but there's supposedly some 3D in Disney Plus too. Wow. As long as you got one of the three TV sets left that actually has stereo, because they gave up on that pretty quick. Or, yeah, or did there they was just a lot of them for a while. Yeah. Hey, look, I I I was trying to ride that wave, um, you know, but uh, it, did, it did not last long. Um, hey, not. let's let's jump back to cameras. You know, one of the things I, I was talking to Brian Hallett on the last podcast about this is that uh, you know we've been dealing with ever-increasing sensor sizes and resolutions and a dynamic range. But it seems like one of the real big things now is the autofocus. Now that we're getting autofocuses that incorporate a lot of machine learning and things like that, these things are not your grandfather's handycam that are zooming in and out of focus uh, until they finally lock on something. These things are razor sharp and, uh, and actually really following the action, right? Well, and, and they're following technology that's existed for cinema in a while. I mean, there's a couple of manufacturers, Cineblock and some others, that make focus control systems for high-end cinema cameras. I mean, Teradek has, their RT system actually has uh, a tie-in to it, so, as does Preston for their follow-focus systems. So there's a lot of this autofocus setup or, or focus control, they would call it. But these new cameras are kind of amazing with how they actually 
handle autofocus. Uh, I mean, the, the Canon in particular is extremely advanced um, in how the C500 Mark II and how it handles the dual focus, dual settings of the autofocus. It's actually got two separate controls for it that allow you to modify, you know, how often it changes and whether it locks or not, and if the subject's not moving, how it works. And then you can actually adjust the speed of the autofocus for things like sports and that, which is a carryover from the still world. So this is becoming more and more common in the mid-range cameras, and it's used a lot on some larger sets. I mean, we're getting a situation now where, you know, a lot of the robotic systems that are used for broadcast use those. And it used yeah. to be, you know, a little lapel pin that they'd use that they would track. And now it's just they just track the anchors in their positions. And yeah. that's actually a whole secondary aspect of, of the broadcast side that people don't even think about is they do use automatic systems for those, too. You know, it's interesting. Um, I've talked to quite a few DPs and ACs who will always say, oh, no, no, uh, you have to have a focus puller because they can feel the motion of the uh, the talent and they're going to know when they're going to lean forward and they can anticipate. And a really good focus puller uh, can really anticipate where the focus is going. And I think that's probably true. But I think certainly at the indie level, you're just not going to find those kinds of seasoned focus pullers anyway. Uh, and so this, you know, it's amazing how many people I've seen think spend a lot of money on an indie shoot and because they're not real experienced, they get back and they suddenly realize how much of the footage is out of focus. Oh um, yeah. So, so this kind of revolution in the autofocus quality is actually a really big deal. I think on that, uh, indie level market where so far it's been, we're trying to get the dynamic range up to what film used to be and beyond and, uh, get the, the resolution and the, you know, the color depth. And now this, this kind of other hurdle, it's interesting. I think the last two really big hurdles, uh, in some respects to feature film quality are the, uh, you know, the ability to really kind of focus and, and perform camera moves like, uh, the big heavy equipment and the experienced guys, uh, but also, uh, the lighting and the led lighting has kind of democratized that, uh, over the last few years. So, yeah. um, you know, we're ready, but, it, but it's an interesting thing, but it's an interesting thing because, you know, this push for larger sensors and shallower depth of field has made that whole process. It, it, it's exaggerated to the point where it's made it untenable for a lot of users. I, I mean, when you're working wide open or you're working at, you know, F2, trying to maintain focus when somebody's moving around, yeah. it's not an easy subject. And and the autofocus systems have a hard time keeping up. You go to 2.8 or F4, no problem. I mean, they're fine in all of that because there's just enough um, depth of field to be able to handle it. But if, if you're somebody trying to work wide open in ultra low light, you can't do that with an autofocus system just yet. But yeah. we are only a couple of years well, away. And you have a you have a problem, right? If you're if you're in a close up, I don't at like one point eight, what you know, you, your nose is going to be out of focus if your eyes in focus. So it's it's even a a tough creative choice that the autofocus just can't make as right. to what. And that's exactly why it's yeah. a creative choice. And, and, and that's why somebody physically doing it is always going to be able to understand what's, you know, how the framing works, whereas the autofocus might go to something in the background because you've got this big white, you know, open space on the side when you're really just trying to, to evoke a, a feeling. So what and you're that, saying is the, the, the ACs still have work. That's a good I think that's point. First, first AC's always got a job on my sets. <laughs> yeah. Well, you said something there. Uh, 
the creative side of auto and automated and AI is, is where I hope that a lot of us will still have jobs once AIs and automation becomes that much better and greater and faster and cheaper. It'll still be, you know, the human brain hopefully can still make the creative choices that the AIs can't, even though they will try to make the AIs creative. I have no doubt in my mind. Well, something that's popped up online the last few days was the, uh, the, the Dennis upgrade up, up res of that 1918 train footage. Oh, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Thing? yeah, 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 the, yeah. The Lou now, now, what a lot of people don't realize is that that train photo, train image, the first time it ran, that was one of the very first moving pictures that was ever shown publicly, and people went running and screaming out of the theater <laughs> yeah, because they thought the train was going to come in real, and. And now that that's been upressed to the quality that image is, it's kind of scary because it means that we'll be able to salvage a lot of things that were shot in eight millimeter and 16 millimeter. Man, let's do that on the Zapruder film and see what we can see. You know, oh, there's some wow, things like yeah. that. I mean, think about how the aspects of that for historical reference and, you know, World War II footage or World War I footage, where there's actually some real video footage, film footage from World War I, that we would be able to do the same kind of quality to that. It yeah, makes it kind I, of amazing. I do think, you know, in some ways it would be easier to shoot 4K sometimes and anticipate just uprising to 8K when you need to. Because at that level, you already have so many pixels in the 4K that a machine learning algorithm, if it's trained on an 8K ground truth, so basically what you do is you shoot a whole bunch of footage 8K and then you make a 4K version and tell the computer it should look like this original 8K. Now do that for everything else that wasn't shot in 8K, right? Um, so I would think certainly 4K to 8K should be a pretty clean, um, accurate upconversion using machine oh, learning. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 not honest, but it's but it but it will work as much yeah. as we're dealing with 1080 to 4K now. So, yeah, so. you talk about the upresing, but that uh, that little clip we're talking about with the train. The thing I was amazed about it was the frame rate because it it did a translation to 60. Yeah, uh, I think it was 60 frames a second. Right. If you looked at the image real close, the upresing was nice, but there was still some pixelization and some stuff in there. But the frame rate was very smooth, and I saw that and I thought to myself. Take this project I'm working on now, where some of the files we're working at Williams Renan 8, but we have animation files that were delivered at 24, 30, 2997. So I'm thinking, I need, I want that uh, frame conversion technology in, you know, well, in my you know, NLE. It's, it's funny will, you say that's that. Really, because I'm but about not to, as good as that. It doesn't well, I'm about work. to write a uh, write a, an article, just like the Auto Roto tool in Python that I did a uh, thing on. Uh, I'm going to do one on Ultra. Uh, retiming using machine learning. So there's some open source Python stuff now where you can feed something that's 12 frames per second and make it 90, and it's way better than uh, optical flow on its own. Oh it, my it, God. it looks really oh, good. So, did you just say yeah, I mean, I mean, it's for Twixter. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a, a link to the final version. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. I get on, you know, Twixter was like the first one back in the day. That that was like revolution, yeah. Uh, in in and of itself, um, when it hit. Speaking of revolution, wait, let's talk about this last one. Then I got a bail on this yep. uh, podcast. Was the uh, shooting with two frames of your iPhone, two cameras in your iPhone yeah. at one time? Oh yeah, double take. What was that thing called? Double, double take. Double yeah. Take. All right. So you know, the wait, that was it's free. It's a free app, which yep. shocked me when, it only when works they talked on about phones. this way back and when. Yeah. I thought it was 
an expensive an expensive thing so what what i'm, I'm yeah i've got the iphone 11 pro and it works great but i'm like i thought they'd be charging me 20 bucks for this thing well, but this is this is the free version. It only does two cameras. And when Filmic Pro releases their update closer to NAB, it'll actually enable you to shoot with the iPhone Pro all four cameras. Now oh, it doesn't work. It wow. doesn't work with older phones. It doesn't work with the iPhone Seven. It says not compatible with. You get all the interface, but it doesn't give you multiple cameras. You can't get the front okay. and back camera or the wide and the normal. One of the great things I've done with it was I, you know, I did some PR stuff for somebody not that long ago, and I grabbed it and shot, you know, a telephoto and a media medium shot at the same time and it gave me both to be able to frame one and have the other in the shot so I could actually do the cuts between them and while the content you records is 1080 the functionality of it is actually really amazing and when they roll that into the full filmic app I can't wait to play with that and this is actually one of the things I'm going to be talking about at NAB because it's part of this generation of mobile filmmakers that have changed you know the whole outlook on it the people that have destroyed the pocket point and shoot market have made phones so much mm. better let's show what they do yeah so is that is that uh the, the double take app or uh, more so i guess when you get the four cameras at once is it the you've got the speed of the hardware that can in the phone that can process the four images at once it has to run through the software it has to then write it to the flash memory i mean there's just a ton of stuff going on and i guess we until we had super fast phones i mean that's what that's what is enabling this to do its thing right oh, just you understand they're all 1080 images too so it's taking a 4k image and cutting it in quarters right that's part of the, it's part of how the technology is oh, working okay. so, so even though my phone will shoot 4k i'm only going to get right. 1080 out of that uh out of, yeah. out of the filmic app. so let, okay. let me let me ask you uh this because i i just haven't don't know if this has happened yet but the, the whole reason or one of the reasons they introduced two cameras on that first, uh, the first iPhone that had dual cameras, I don't know if that was at the 10 or before that, um, but the idea oh. was that you could use that defocusing effect, right? It could actually figure out based on the different focal lengths, uh, some ways to kind of fake a soft focus. Has anyone managed well, yeah, to do that with video yet? Uh, I haven't. <laughs> I just, haven't even I just wonder if yeah. these guys like Filmic have actually said, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll do that on the fly, you know? Well, I think, I think there's application for it, and I think there's people who have been working on it, but they've been working on it on other systems. I mean, you've been able to do an out-of-focus key for a long time on some higher-end systems. I know Grass Valley rolls that into some of their switchers and that. So it's been available on, on the higher-end production systems for a while. Being able to do it on a phone is just a totally different level of technology yeah. because it you don't have all that. Also, it, unless you can genuinely get perspective on the background it always looks a little weird right on the edges so mm. you know yeah. just not, nothing you would want to use in a production film or anything um, i was just curious kitschy photos for facebook you know yeah we've all done you have to write that into your write that into your script into your sci-fi story it's like there's a, there's a plot device for the, uh, that kind of thing I, I i mean i think that um on the double take i was playing with it and speaking of the loop deck i thought i should do a video review here and using the wide angle lens and the close-up, you know, I mean, there's there's a couple, there's a lot of different ways you could you could utilize it, which is which is really cool. And I um, well, I yeah, it's amazing how often doing it. You just need to shoot something. You don't have time to create a, a ten thousand dollars shoot out of it, but you want to get more than you know more than just one POV. Yeah. And right. uh, it's pretty cool. Does filmmakers? I think you're going to see. Do they have some kind of special uh, access in the hardware? Can any any camera app do this? Or do you know, Gary? Uh, I don't know. 
And I, I couldn't tell you if I did. <laughs> I, I would imagine they would be able to at least chat to a couple of the engineers at Apple or, or you know, where Google or where, whoever's making the camera, the, or, well, you know, Samsung. Yeah. And, the, and that's, that's a good point, too, because the app works on multiple um, phones. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I run Filmic Pro on, on my, you know, near-dead Hydrogen One, at my Android phone. So it's like it, it does that. So. Oh, Hydrogen One. <laughs> I hear it got uh, a cameo appearance. Recently. Somebody sent me a T-shirt and a and a, and a and a and one of the medallions as they closed down the shop. I got a t somebody sent me a T-shirt and five-inch medallion from Red. The so bummer is you, you'll it's not big enough for you to turn into a fish tank in a couple of years. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, one yeah, last thing. The new Fast and the new Fast and Furious movie yeah. where the hydrogen. That's was, right. Oh yeah, it was in, made, a, made an appearance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. What's uh, our last thing? One last little comment uh was there was reports people i don't know who does this but some little geeks maybe they're 16 year old geeks in their bedrooms pour through the source code of the next uh beta of os 10 and they reported that there's going to be an os 10 pro mode which i think is fantastic because what apple will often do is throttle back the speed of your cpu and the graphics card to make sure you don't get excessive fan noise and uh, you know things don't get too hot but uh, a lot of the time you can run things hot without really damaging the system. It just gets really loud as far as the fans go. And if you're if you're more concerned with uh, rendering something on time over being nice and quiet in the library, uh, you know, you would want that option. And so it, if this is true, it's kind of a cool feature that we'll be able to say, okay, crank this sucker up and let the fans go crazy. So any, any anything that lets you utilize your hardware, I mean, as long as it doesn't break it, that's, I'm sure that's yeah. part of, you don't want to, you don't want to, uh, Chernobyl-like meltdown, but you know, I, I'm happy to 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 take off some of the fluff that keeps it consumer-friendly and give me more more customization and more uh, power. Well, I mean, I mean, people don't realize that, but I mean, the Thunderbolt ports get throttled when they get overheat, and and it, it happens to every manufacturer. I see yeah. it more on on certain machines than others, but you can really if if you have the tools to test it, it's actually interesting to watch how much the the power decreases or the throughput decreases as the chips get hotter and hotter. But GPUs are the same way. You know, I, I have a machine with six graphics cards and when that thing, I actually run an air conditioner to it to cool it down, um, <laughs> but it makes a dramatic what difference. What kind of madness is that? Well, that's for, for a GPU based 3D rendering. Um, yeah. But if I, so I actually have an AC that turns on when, when the ambient temperature is a certain threshold and it makes a massive difference to the performance of those graphics cards because they're designed to throttle once they get to a certain heat level. And so right. if you can keep them cool, you can keep pumping out the pixels. It's a Does good your deal. wife let you have that in your house? You <laughs> she doesn't know I have it. As long, <laughs> hey, as, long as uh, the paychecks keep coming in from clients <laughs> yeah. and wherever, she doesn't well, care. Well, the bills. You know, hey, whatever you want. So, so, so you're going for the 16-inch laptop. Let me give you um, a tip. So I have... I got this years ago in a kitchen. It was a an aluminum cooling plate to defrost things, yeah. and, it, and it's and it's literally just a heat sink. Put your lap if you can find one of those somewhere. They're really cheap. You can buy them on Amazon for like three or four bucks. So it's a little aluminum sheet. If you lay your laptop on it and then raise it up, it'll actually thread pull the heat away from your laptop rather efficiently. And I use one of those with my laptop all the time. And my laptop sets raised underneath my monitor on this little plate. That is then raised on the on the four corners. It's only anchored on the four corners, but it allows it. It actually running temperature of my laptop about four degrees centigrade. Wow. Uh, and then if you well, lick two I, fingers and put them in the PowerPoint at the same time, 
<laughs> no. no, I say, Gary, I don't, I don't have that, but I do have a uh, a salt cooking block. Will that work? Uh, yeah, Himalayan uh, unfortunately, salt unfortunately, cooking it's going to make your laptop taste really, really good afterwards, <laughs> which burns. <laughs> yeah. All right, I All think right. we're done. I think with we're that, done here. With that comedy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I hope you guys Chat enjoyed soon. the show. We will see you all uh, next time we actually get around to recording this thing, which should be next week. We'll see. All right. Thanks, guys. So Thanks, long. guys. Bye. Okay.